Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Adam was born the first time by the breath of God, and the sons of Adam, we are born the second time by the God-breathed-out Word of God, which is what it says in 1 Peter 1.23. 1 Peter 1.23 says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God. Being born again by the Word of God, by the breath of God, by the breathed-out Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So as we look at verse two, where it says, he opened his mouth and taught them, we see God breathing out this life-giving Word of life, the Word of God. And we see ourselves receiving that life-giving word of God right from his mouth, which is exactly what God was expressing when he said in Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 8.3, man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Right from the mouth of God comes the word of life, and it comes to us, and which is why the term word of life is so wonderful. So when we read in Matthew 5.2 that he opened his mouth, and we see the Lord opening his mouth to give, we should see ourselves as reciprocating and opening our heart to receive that word. This is what makes the Sermon on the Mount so important. Now, we're coming now as we're going through these blessed be people, anyway. It says there in verse 10, there's one we come to now. We can, so we're coming to another blessed are, and that's the verse 10. It says, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we come to this one, this is different from all the other ones. You know, the other ones, you're poor in spirit, you know, you're blessed, and you're meek, you're blessed, you're merciful, you're blessed, you're peacemaker, you're blessed, but now we got a great transition now. It's a great transition because now all of a sudden, everything was going really good until now we come to this one where it's talking about a great conflict. You know, he's no longer describing the blessed are about themselves, but now he's talking about the blessed are and something happens to them. So, and it's interesting that it follows the peacemaker because it means that if you're gonna set your life to try to bring peace between man and God, if you're gonna set your life to try to reconcile rebels to God, you're gonna experience persecution and you're gonna experience resistance by this world. And that's what verse 10 is saying. It's standing as a warning to the peacemakers or the reconcilers. It's a warning that you, know, you should be ready for this great opposition this great persecution. So he goes through and he says, you know, blessed are persecuted, which we don't like to read about, but anyway, this is what it says. But then he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's the kingdom of heaven. Now that's really confirming to us something very interesting because he's very much aware of the sufferings and the persecution that believers have and will, are and will go through. Now let me ask you to consider this. Think about this verse 
where he said in John 18, 36, John 18, 36, think about this, where Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not deliver to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from thence. In that verse, John 18, 36, what is the Lord saying about his kingdom? Very simple, what is it? It's not of this world. It's not of this world. And what's the proof? What's the proof from that verse that he gave that his kingdom is not of this world? Want me to read it again? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews? But now is my kingdom not from hence. What's the proof that he gave that his kingdom is not of this world? Yeah, but he's saying the intolerable situation of him being delivered to the Jews would be stopped if this kingdom were of his world. Okay, so now, what would have happened if this world was of his kingdom? What would have happened? You already said it. His servants would fight. His servants would fight, and he would not be delivered to the Jews. Now, keep that in mind. And just imagine for a minute what the situation would be like if believers were being reviled in his kingdom were having all manner of evil spoken against them falsely and they were persecuted in his kingdom, if all this was happening in his kingdom in heaven, what would happen? His servants would fight. His servants would fight. They'd make it all stop. If this was the Lord's kingdom, then his servants wouldn't be mistreated like that. They would be fought for. They'd put an immediate end to that. But here on earth, not in heaven, here on earth, not his kingdom, when his servant, when his followers are mistreated, when we are mistreated for the Lord's sake, and it doesn't stop, what does that show us? This is not his kingdom. This is not a part of the Lord's kingdom. Just as he said, that's what he was saying in John 18, 36. In John 18, 36, he was saying, if this were my kingdom, my servants would fight. If this were his kingdom, it would all stop for us. Now, that's an encouragement to us. That's an encouragement to us that every time you and I suffer for the Lord's sake and every time the Lord's servants don't fight to stop that immediately, that's a reminder this earth is not the Lord's kingdom. We're not in the Lord's kingdom, I should say. This is not the Lord's kingdom, and we're a foreigner here. But now in these verses, the Lord, these things are happening, and the Lord is not saying, look, when believers are being reviled and persecuted and have all manner of evil spoken against them, don't worry, my servants will immediately fight and stop it. He didn't say that. But what he did say, he says, you're very happy because rewards are waiting for you later in the kingdom. Here, we carry out the ministry of reconciliation with our testimony, and we suffer, but later come the rewards. Now, he becomes very specific as to what type of persecution he's talking about, what can be expected in verse 11. He says, details, he said, blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And he says that our response to this is not to go into a state of depression, is not to go into a state of mourning and sadness that all this is happening to us. He says the response that we should have in verse 12, he's saying, rejoice, be exceeding glad. Why? Great is your reward in heaven. And then he goes on to say, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And he says that. He says that, he says in verse 12, he says, so persecuted they the prophets before you. He's saying, this suffering is not new. It's always been here in the past with those 
prophets that were before you with those Old Testament prophets. And so he's saying to you, what a privilege you have. What a privilege you have to stand in the same level as the Old Testament prophets to make up what still is remaining of the suffering of the Lord. It's kind of like the Lord is saying, you know what? There's a certain measure of sufferings that he's gonna suffer, and that measure is included both by what he suffered in his body of flesh and what his body of believers suffer. They're all the sufferings of Christ, and this is what it says in Colossians 1.24. Colossians 1.24 says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. So this phrase, fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ, it causes us to see that there's just a certain amount of sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this amount is made up by both what he suffered directly and by what his followers suffer as well, which is what the Lord Jesus told Saul before he became Paul when he said to him in Acts 9.4, Acts 9.4, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He was persecuting Christians, but God said you're persecuting me. And so when the followers of the Lord Jesus, they suffer, they're right there with the Old Testament prophets, just as Stephen was, just before he was martyred. He said in, in Acts 7.51, Acts 7.51, he said to them, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? They have slain. They have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. So Stephen knew, Stephen knew before he was martyred that he was becoming a companion of these prophets that he spoke about. And when a person becomes a companion in the suffering of the prophets, he also becomes a companion in the receiving of the rewards of the prophets. And this is a wonderful thing. And that's why he said in Matthew 5.10, Matthew 5.10, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice in verse 12, Matthew 5.12. Matthew 5.12, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Great is your reward in heaven. Now, he's still on this subject of being in this hostile world. He's still speaking about the effects that believers are going to receive. But now he turns in verse 13 and he speaks about the effect that believers will have on this world when he says in verse 13, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, be trodden under the foot of men. So being persecuted is speaking about what happens to believers outwardly. It's the direction toward them. But now when he says you are the salt of the earth, he's speaking about what is in believers inwardly and the effect that they have going out. So in Mark 9.50, it's a good verse to have in parallel to this one. Mark 9.50, Mark 9.15, the Lord Jesus said something very interesting. Is in Mark 9.50. He said salt is good. That's what he said, salt is good. But if the salt has lost his saltness, wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. So this verse, Mark 9.50, it starts off, it says salt is good. It starts off by saying that salt is good. How many of you agree that salt is good? <laughs> Do you like salt? <laughs> How many of you love to put salt on your food? Oh, yeah. My wife loved salt. Wherever we would go out, she always reached for the salt. And in case there should be this terrible day, 
that there was no salt available on the table. She always carried a small container of salt with her. It was her emergency salt. Because <laughs> she loved salt. And the Lord said salt was good. Salt is a good thing to bring out the flavor of foods. It just raises the food from being bland to being like vibrant. Yeah? And my middle son, Joseph, he's the one who loves to cook, loves to eat. Yeah. Joseph, I love to watch my middle son, Joseph, cook. Because what he does to me is amazing. One thing he says, there's a certain ceremony that he goes through when he's preparing food to cook. He takes that big blue box of Morton kosher salt. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. And he holds it way up in the air, and he shakes it till the salt falls from the box on the food like rain. I mean, it's a ceremony of salt with him. (laughs) You have to stop and watch it because he loves to see those big crystals traveling through the air and falling down on the food, and he monitors the food till it's got this perfect coating of this white glistening salt crystals on the food. I wish you could all see Joseph's ceremony of salt when he does that. It's really something. But it brings out the food. And so this is what the Lord is saying. Salt is good. And Joseph would say amen to that. Salt is good. It brings out the flavor of food. But salt is also good for something else. What is it? It preserves food. Down in Loreto, in Mexico, there are a lot of manta rays in the water. A lot of them. Sometimes like thousands of them. And they'll fly out of the water. They jump out of the water and flap their wings. The first time I saw it, I thought I was dreaming. You know, it's just a fantastic thing to watch as they kind of soar out of the water and flap their wings. And, and later I learned what they're doing. They're not trying to fly. That's the way that they corral sardines together to eat them. Anyway, there are a lot of manta rays down there in Loreto. So the other day I was in the Cortez Fish Market in Loreto, and there was sitting this plastic box sitting in the open there with no refrigeration or anything, and inside it was this large pile of something. And I was kind of curious, so I asked them, what is that? And they say, mantare. Manta rays, machaca. It was manta rays for making machaca. It was the manta rays, and they were just sitting there as a pile, and they were all room temperature. Now, raw fish can really stink. So when I heard that, I, that they had raw manta rays sitting in this box, I did a double take, and I said, yeah, you have raw fish out here? I mean, how is that possible and that it doesn't spoil? And they said, sal, salt. It said salt. And then I looked, and so the, the manta rays are covered with salt. So with salt, you can keep raw fish at room temperature. It won't spoil. I mean, salt is good. Salt has gotten a bad rap. Gotten a bad rap because of its effect on high blood pressure, but salt is good. Salt is really good. It stops food from spoiling, and it also flavors food. So when the creator, Jesus, spoke about salt, he knew what he was talking about in Mark 9.50 when he said salt is good. It's good for taste. It's good for preservation. But then the Lord then brought out in Matthew 5.13, in verse 13, He brought out a tragic problem when he says, if the salt has lost its savor, that's a tragedy. He said in Mark 9.50, Mark 9.50 put it, if the salt has lost its saltness, that's a tragedy when salt has lost its saltiness. And so the Lord then asked the question in Matthew 5.13, Matthew 5.13, he says, wherewith shall it be salted? How do you restore it? When salt has lost its saltiness, how can the saltiness be recovered again? That's a valid question. That's a valid question for us to consider this morning. So when you think about that question in Matthew 5.13, how many of you believe that the answer to the Lord's question of wherewith shall it be salted is it cannot. It cannot be salted again. Once the salt has lost its saltiness, it can't be salted again. How many of you believe that? Okay. That's the no way. That's the no way answer. Once salt has lost its saltiness, there's no way it can be salty again. Okay. How many of you believe 
that once salt has lost its saltiness, that there is a way for the salt to be made salty. How many believe that? Well, okay. Actually, pure salt is sodium chloride. That's what it is. And sodium chloride will never be anything other than sodium chloride. But salt, sodium chloride, does lose its saltiness. And there's one way that salt loses its saltiness. What's the one way? There is a way that salt can lose its saltiness. And it loses its saltiness when it is contaminated. So let's say that you've got your salt in your hand and it's lost its saltiness. And how do you know? You taste it. It's not salty. It doesn't taste salty, but it has lost its flavor. So now you look more closely at this, what you got in your hand there, the salt that's lost its saltiness, and you can see the problem. You see those crystals of sodium chloride, like Morton salt. You can see this, the crystals of sodium chloride. You can see them. They're glistening. Their salt does. But you also see there are a lot of contaminants. There's a lot of dirt or whatever. There's other minerals mixed in with the salt. That's the problem. It's those contaminants that have caused the salt to lose its saltiness. It doesn't taste like salt. It won't flavor food. It won't preserve raw manta rays at Cortez Fish Market in Loretto. And if it was used at Cortez Fish Market in Loretto on those raw manta rays at room temperature, it would be no time before nobody can enter the store. It, the stink would be so bad. Because it's those mixture of the other minerals that's caused the salt to lose both its preserving power and to lose its ability to flavor food. And when you looked at the salt and you saw it's mixed in with those contaminants, you would ask yourself the question, what is this mixture good for? You'd say, nothing. You'd say, you'd agree with the Lord. You'd say, I'm not gonna put it on my food. It's not gonna work as salt for food, and I'm not gonna try to keep a dead manta ray from stinking at room temperature. I'm not gonna do that. So finally, after you think of all the possibilities of what you could do with this contaminated salt, you just have to come to the conclusion of verse 13, if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith it will be salted, it stands for good for nothing. You throw it out. Cast out, trodden underfoot of men. Now, you'd look at this contaminated salt, and you'd say the same thing in verse 13. It's good for nothing, and you throw it out. But that all happened because the contaminated salt is good for nothing. Uncontaminated salt is good. Contaminated salt is good for nothing. But then if you said, now, wait a minute. I really want my salt back. I want my salt back from this contaminated mixture. And you're asking the question, how do I get my salt back from this contaminant, and you realize that, well, if I actually took the time, I could actually take a magnifying glass and he find tweezers, <laughs> and I could pull out every grain of salt from the mixture to purify the salt again, and it would work. And if you had the time, you did that. If you took the time to remove the salt crystals from the contaminating minerals, dirt, whatever, it would make the salt salty again. Now, all of that is a lesson in what the Lord is teaching here in verse 13, which are three points. The first point is, salt is good. The second point is, contaminated salt is good for nothing. And the third point is, by removing the salt from its contaminants, salt can be restored to being good again. And when you ask the question, well, what does that mean for my life? Well, the Lord said, you are the salt. You are the salt of the earth. It's you. And what it means is that if you, if we, as the salt of the world, if we're working, then we do two functions. First, salt makes food taste good. It takes away the blandness of food, and it brings out great flavor of food. And when the world looks at the Lord, what, they see blandness. They see dead religion. They see buildings with crosses on them and men walking around in cold religious robes heartlessly reciting these dogmas, and it looks bland, it looks boring, it's not interesting. 
But when we come with our testimony of how the Lord gave us life, it's like salt. We're bringing out the greatness of the Lord Jesus. That's how we are the salt of the earth that brings out the wonderful flavor of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then second, when we refuse to indulge in the world of sin, that puts it like a holy damper on sin. It retards the corruption. For example, when someone is around you and they're using the name of Jesus or Jesus Christ as a swear word, and we turn around and we say anything, but we say the Lord Jesus Christ, that person hears that, right away he stops using the name of Jesus Christ as a swear word. That's how we as the salt of the earth, we inhibit the corruption of sin in the world. So like salt, we're good when we're not contaminated with the world. We're good when we still have our saltiness. Like salt, we are, but on the other hand, like salt, we're good for nothing when we are contaminated with the world. And those are the ways that the salt of the earth and we are salt is good, but on the other hand, we lose our saltiness when we become contaminated with the world, when our minds are filled with TV that's constantly showing murders and adulteries, all kinds of sin, or when our minds are just constantly filled with the news and the movies of the world and so forth, we become, instead of being filled with God, salt becomes contaminated. When we let sinful practices creep into our lives, and we don't look at every part of our lives and ask the question, is this something in my life that's between me and my Savior? We don't say that. We don't say, I have resolved nothing between my soul and the Savior. We don't say that. Well, we don't say the words of the hymn, nothing between my soul and the Savior, not of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure, nothing between like worldly pleasure. Habits of life, though harmless they seem, must not my heart from him ever sever, nothing between my soul and the Savior, so that his blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the leaf of his favor, nothing between my soul and the Savior. Keep the way clear, let nothing between. And when that's not the priority in our lives, then we as the salt of the earth become contaminated with the world, and we as the salt of the earth lose our saltness, and we're good for nothing. Because we don't bring out the flavor of the greatness of the Lord Jesus to the lost, and we don't inhibit the sin that's around us. So what we've seen this morning, we've seen as we looked at this, We've seen how the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is veiled. He's Jehovah Jesus, but he's veiled. It's not the Mount Sinai. It's not the coming revelation seen of him as a judgment. He's veiled. We've seen that. And we've also seen how when a person lives for God, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You cannot avoid that. And we've also seen that when the persecution comes, that our right response should be, hey, I'm standing on the same level as the Old Testament prophets. This is wonderful, this is great, in their suffering and in their great rewards that shall come. Now we've also seen how the fact that we do suffer like that for his sake, and it's not stopped immediately, shows this earth is not his kingdom, that's all. Heaven's our home and this isn't it. And we've also seen how we are called the salt of the earth to both bring out the flavor of the Lord Jesus Christ by our testimony, and also to inhibit the sin around us. We've also seen how salt in our lives, we lose our saltiness when we're contaminated with the world, we get good for nothing. And we've also seen how salt can return back to its original saltiness by removing it from the contaminants that have ruined it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning, Lord, and 
We pray that you would just continue to impress us with the words that you have spoken in the Sermon on the Mount. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 